Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Victoria Benyon, and the founder of the Victoria Benyon Podcast Booking Agency. And you're listening to The Best Guest, the podcast for business owners, creatives, and entrepreneurs who want to harness the power of podcasts to grow their platforms and increase their visibility. We're here to support you on your journey, bringing you actionable tips with each episode. Now, let's begin. In this episode, we're joined by not just one, but three amazing guests. Ian Anderson Gray, Laura Doman, and Lisa Apolinsky, who are all co authors of The Most Amazing Marketing Book Ever, which I'm also really grateful to have been a part of. The Most Amazing Marketing Book Ever is a comprehensive marketing guide and a must read book that will help you achieve your goals and succeed in today's ever changing marketplace. If you haven't heard of it already, where have you been? It's the brainchild of one of the world's leading marketing futurists and keynote speakers, Mark Schaefer, who said, I challenged my community friends to create insights, not just rehash information you can find in a blog post somewhere, and they delivered. Whether you're a seasoned pro or a small business owner trying to establish your first marketing strategy, get out your highlight marker. You're going to find some new ideas here. I met Mark Schaefer for the first time just over a year ago at a lunch he held at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego. Subsequently, I joined his community and got the opportunity to be part of this collaborative project and write the chapter Blogging for Authority and SEO. Honestly, it's been a fantastic experience to be part of. Mark's a generous teacher and it's an honor to have been able to be part of this book alongside so many experienced marketers. Without further ado, let's hear from the experts about the extraordinary power of live streaming, leveraging your videos and YouTube channel and moving customer experience to the digital front. First up is Ian the founder of the Confident Live Marketing Academy and also the host of the Confident Live podcast. Ian Anderson Gray helps entrepreneurs level up their impact, authority and profits by using live video confidently. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for having me on the on the show, Victoria. It's great to finally meet you. Yes, as I was saying, I've been aware of your work for a few years, but we've never met. So it's really great to have a chat with you today. Definitely. What I didn't know about your background, Ian, is that you are a professional classical singer. So how did your skills as a performer stand you in good stead as a confident live video coach? It has a big impact or influence on me because I remember the first time I went live, it was actually on a Google Hangouts on air. If, I don't know if you oh, remember. yeah, I remember them. In those good old days. And I was absolutely petrified. I, I don't know why, but I was just really nervous about it. And then I reminded myself of the fact that I trained as a professional classical singer. And I remember myself being on stage at the Liverpool Philharmonic Hall about to give a performance. It was quite a difficult piece. And I remember saying to myself on stage, why on earth am I doing this? What, why did I agree to this? But I went on and I did it and I channeled, I, I think I'd learned this skill of channeling that nervous energy, that fear into the excitement of the performance. And it went so well. It was probably my best ever performance because I was able to transfer that nervous energy. And then it dawned on me, well, I can do the same thing with live video. It's turning that fear into the excitement. The only difference is in a, in a public performance, 
you're relying on the audience to give you that excitement. It's a lot more difficult when you're just in front of your microphone and camera because there isn't that same energy. So I had to work on that side of things. But all of that experience that I had as a performer really helped. And the other thing that I think is really important is that as a performer, now not all performers get this right, but it's not about you. As a singer, I'm telling a story through my singing to the audience and the audience, I mean, in many, many aspects, they're paid money to come and see you. So they're the most important. And it's the same with podcasting, with video and with live video. You are a vessel uh, to communicate a message to your audience. And so that's what you need to do. And also, I think this idea of the camera being this inanimate object, that makes it difficult. But imagining that your audience is in front of you makes a big difference. So yeah, that's how it's helped me. That's really useful. Different ways to reframe it. Since you started blogging, you've had a couple of really successful articles. One I believe was about Hootsuite and the other was about Facebook Live. When you wrote them, did you have any idea that they'd be so successful? Well, certainly not with the Hootsuite one, because that that's going back a long time. I set up my blog in late 2011, and I just wanted to write about stuff that I was interested in. And I was interested in social media at the time. I discovered Hootsuite, which is this social media management tool, which helps manage your social media, makes it easier. But I was really frustrated because every time I looked at blog posts, it was always really ultra positive. And I just had this uneasy feeling about the, the post because I thought, well, they're probably getting paid for this or it's an affiliate link. I can't really trust it. So I thought, why don't I do the opposite? Why don't I write about what's not good about Hootsuite in a balanced way? And so I wrote four reasons not to use Hootsuite, realized actually there's probably a few more. So I made it seven. So I extended it over time. And it just, it wasn't immediately successful. But if I look back to my Google Analytics, after a couple of months, it really started to pick up. And I think it was because so many people were looking at, when writing, were looking at the positives. People don't really want to know. People, if they're looking at Hootsuite, they already think it's probably okay. They want to think, think about what's not good about it. And it's the same with Amazon reviews, I think. I, I don't know about you, but I look at I do look at a couple of the, the positive ones, but then look at the two and the three stars. Like what what's wrong with this? I was just gonna say that. That's exactly yeah. what you do. Exactly. So I didn't realize that at the time, but I, I I looking back at it, I think that was why it was so successful. And I did become a little bit infamous within Hootsuite, apparently. So <laughs> I bet uh, they loved you. I bet they love. Well, I think though I hear that they were more confused rather than I don't think they hated me. I, that was not my. I, and actually, no, I'm the, sure the whole, they didn't hate you. The, the blog post was balanced. I, I tried to make it as balanced as possible, so I did talk about what was good about it. Now, fast forward to 2016 when I wrote the the live Facebook Live one. Now, I think I did have a little bit of a an idea that this could be popular. And, and I think the, the reason I thought that was, well, first of all, Facebook Live had just come out. So I think I was going to able to ride on the wave of popularity there. But also, it was very difficult at that time to broadcast to Facebook Live. You had to use this software called OBS Studio, which was not exactly easy. And for Facebook Live, you had to jump through a few hoops. So with the post, with the article, I made it really, really detailed, really, really 
easy to understand. And I had a little button on the page that you could click to connect to Facebook. So I think all of those things together provided this, I suppose, the popularity of of the blog post. And it's had over six and a half million page views. Things have changed now. Obviously, Facebook Live is a lot easier. So the article's not doing quite so well now. But at the time, it was really popular. And I think that's what I say to people when writing a blog post. You've got to, there's so much content out there. You've got to find the kind of content that people are after. You need to solve a problem. You need to make it really good quality. And you need to make it easy to understand. Because the fact of the matter is most people aren't doing that. That blog post took me absolutely ages to put together, probably took me at least a couple of weeks to put together, but it's been so worth it for me. And most people aren't wanting to take the trouble to do that, including myself. I mean, I don't, I'm not a prolific blogger. I don't blog, I don't release a blog every week. It's probably, I mean, to be honest, four, five blog posts a year. But when I do it, I make sure that it's a really good value. That's really, really good advice. Now, you are one of the co-authors of The Most Amazing Marketing Book Ever by Mark Schaefer and Friends, and you wrote the chapter, The Extraordinary Power of Live Streaming. So what's it been like to be part of a collaborative book project? It's been amazing. This is a real eye-opener. I've, I've all, I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to write a book, but I've always been scared because I just, I know quite a few people have written books and I just know how much effort goes into it and I don't think that kind of frightened me but being part of a collaborative project has been amazing because when when you're putting a book together you have to be good well you either have to be good at lots of things or you have to pay lots of people to help you so things like the, the cover coming up with the cover art the, the typesetting obviously writing the chapter but then you have to have a you know an editor probably and and a a proofreader and then you have to get it on a kindle you have to and then there's the audio book oh my goodness it's been so interesting so fascinating and also a great encouragement because i'll be honest i'm a lot better than i used to be but i've been like a lot of entrepreneurs out there i've had my fair share of struggles with imposter syndrome and all this kind of rubbish that we we deal with being in a community of people really helps that because we've encouraged each other with that that it's been amazing and and mark has just been a great encourager a great teacher as well and and also just i've been amazed at how quickly everything's happened i can't believe that the the kindle book and the actual book book is out and, and the audio book is out soon so how did that happen so quickly oh it's amazing how it's all come together <laughs> So what can readers expect from your chapter? It's on live streaming. So I think some readers will be surprised at some of the tips that I've got. One of the tips is actually about not going live, but actually creating content as if you were live. So that's maybe a different way to think about it. And I also talk about a mindset a lot. So the fact that live, live streaming has really helped me be consistent and get over my perfectionism. But I would regard myself as a recovering perfectionist. So actually going live helps you create content quickly and then repurposing. So I don't just share the kind of the the basics of live streaming, which I I do, 
which is important to get started. But I also talk about lots of other use cases of live streaming, which you might not have thought about, which can really help your content marketing, help you be visible, even if you're maybe a little bit like me and you're a little, I mean, I'm not so nervous in front of the camera as I used to be, but even if you are a little bit nervous, it's great to get connecting with your audience. And I go through those tips on how you do that. Excellent. So how often do you tend to go live? At the moment, I'm having a little bit of a hiatus, a little bit of a, a, a little break. But what I recommend is to go live every week because for a number of reasons, and, and actually ideally more than that, if you can do it twice a week, that's even better because that helps you be consistent. And that's good for your for your audience. They know what, that you're going to go live. It helps you to be visible. People might not necessarily watch your lives, but if you're appearing in their feeds, you're reminding them of your presence. But it also helps you not forget what you're doing and help you get your confidence up and help you create that content continually as well. I use my live video to repurpose into a podcast. It allows me to, my podcast to come out every week. It allows me to have a blog post every week and social media posts as well. So ideally, I would say once a week, and that's what I've always done. And I will be getting back to once I've had my little, let's call it a sabbatical. That sounds like <laughs> What's your podcast called? It's the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. And so it's about three things. It's, it's about confidence in front of the camera. So I suppose that's the mindset side of things. Then the confidence with the tech and the gear, that's the geeky thing. And then the confidence with the content marketing sphere. I try to get it to rhyme. It almost does. And that's to do with, well, what do you talk about and how do you promote, how do you promote it as well? Okay. That sounds great. You also offer a confident live toolkit on your website that I saw. Can you talk about that? Yeah, thank you. So the toolkit is, it basically gives uh, you everything that you need to start your live show and podcast. It talks, it has a guest checklist that you can give to your guests. It has a run of show template so you can structure and know what you're talking about. The really important thing that I struggled with at the start was, well, what is my show about? How do I get started? And so we've got a whole planning template on how you actually come up with the themes, what, who your audience is, that kind of thing. And then at the heart of this is a, a video course that I teach you through all of those things as you go through launching your show. We talk about the tech and the gear, talk about the confidence, talk about what you talk about as well. So it's the whole, the whole shebang, we'll call it. <laughs> that sounds brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Ian. Where can listeners go to find out about your toolkit and to connect with you? Well, probably best to head on to my website, which is iag.me. That's short for my name, Ian Anderson Gray. And you can connect with me on pretty much most of the social networks. Just search for my name, Ian Anderson Gray. It's Gray with an A. And I'd love to love to connect with you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Up next, we have Laura Doman. Laura wrote Chapter 11, Leveraging Your Videos and YouTube Channel. She's a former IT sales exec turned film, TV and voice actor, coaching entrepreneurs to become more comfortable and effective on camera themselves. Hi, Laura. Welcome. Nice to see you and thank you for having me as a guest. Oh, it's great that you could be here. Now, you're a former tech industry sales executive turned actress, voiceover artist, author and public speaker, I believe. 
Can you talk a little bit about your journey? Absolutely. I think from the very beginning, I've always bridged the creative and the corporate worlds. As a little kid, I loved entertaining. I was the one that was in every show I could possibly be in. But I was also the one watching the box office to see how many people we could bring in and trying to do the marketing. And I chose a corporate career and I ended up in IT. But I found out that my true calling was in the sales and marketing, especially anytime you can get in front of people, speaking at conferences, one-on-one sales calls. So there was always a little bit of a razzle-dazzle to whatever I did. Well, I did that for a number of years, and I was traveling all over the U.S. and even internationally. But when the time came to have a family, a little switch all of a sudden was just flipped, which I didn't expect, and I couldn't leave my baby. So I did a 180, and I stayed home for a while. And while I did that, I volunteered in everything you can imagine. But I always wanted to get back into the acting. And this time, I wanted to do it full time. And it came about when my younger child, my daughter, who's a lot like me, really was begging to be in film, TV, on stage. And so I reluctantly made some inquiries. And of course, she got picked up by an agent. And as it turned out, the agent was also looking for some older people. (laughs) So I dusted off my resume because I'd always done some commercials, film, TV, whatever on the side. And next thing you know, I'm off and running and I haven't looked back since. I know what you meant about the baby, just coming back to that, because after I had my daughter, I didn't go back to my job. I don't think you know how that's going to take you, actually, until you have the baby, do you? You can have all these plans. and No, no. I always thought I'd have that big corner office somewhere telling everybody else what to do. And then I'm at the whims of this tiny little thing. (laughs) (laughs) But it sounds like it worked out. It worked out great. And I don't have any regrets about whatever I did. And the nice thing now is that I'm able to demonstrate to both my kids, and I have a son and a daughter, that it is possible to reinvent yourself later in life, to create a business after you've done something quite different. And then you can go after it with gusto and enthusiasm and make something of it. That's a fantastic example. You have some great resources on your website and YouTube channel for helping busy executives with video, which I will link to in the show notes. But have you ever been nervous about being on camera? You're asking me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The only time I've really been nervous is when I'm worried, oh my gosh, is my hair just right? Do I have too much, too little makeup on? Am I too old to be doing this? That kind of thing. Or, oh my gosh, my nose is so big. Yeah. And you know what happens when you hit around 30, at least for me? I didn't care quite so much. And the older I got, the less I worried about such things. So now it's like, hey, take it or leave it. This is what you got. I like that. That's brilliant. Can you share a couple of your top tips for being more comfortable and effective on camera? Oh, I'll be happy to. The first thing you want to do is to get comfortable in your body. Because if you're all tight and tense, it's going to show in your face and in your voice. So here are a couple quick, easy things that you can do. First of all, just loosen up your head. Move it around in slow circles in one way or the other. Raise your eyebrows real high and then scrunch down. Make funny faces. They're not going to stick despite what your mother said, but it will open you up. So big smiles like a cartoon face (laughs) and then a big frowny, pouty one. You can even do the little dog trick. I mean, I know it's going to look weird, so maybe this will get you more viewers. But besides 
just moving your tongue around, pant like a dog. Let that tongue hang out. Uh-huh. Try to talk like that, because then you talk like that, and then you speak normally, it becomes a little more clear for the whole body. Raise your shoulders up real tight so you lose your neck, and then drop them down a few times, up and down, and it makes a difference. Breathe in. A simple breath is to take four breaths in, hold it for about four to six breaths, and exhale twice as long, about eight counts. And all of a sudden, you just feel a lot more comfy. Now, if you're also athletic, I also recommend doing anything like, not right before you go on camera, but maybe about an hour beforehand, some cardio. Maybe you want to run. Maybe you want to do some little jogging, push-ups, sit-ups, whatever it is to get the body moving so that you can feel comfortable about it and then just forget it. You're one of the co-authors of the most amazing marketing book ever by Mark Schaefer and Friends, and you wrote the chapter Leveraging Your Videos and YouTube Channel. How have you found being part of a collaborative book project? Oh, it has been wonderful. I mean, I always wanted to be an author, and I've penned some articles and published little things here and there. I love the idea of doing my part in a marketing book. First of all, it is a collaborative effort with some amazing people in all different specialties all around the world. And so we're constantly learning from one another. And these are genuinely very giving, very generous people. And so to be invited, to be allowed to speak on what I find to be so important and, and having that valued as a contribution, well, it means the world. And so this whole thing has been an amazing journey. It really has. Now, what can readers expect from your chapter? Well, we are each asked to give 10 tips. And so I'm covering two things, one videos and then YouTube. So I did the math and I gave five of each. And I like to start off with the video because if you don't have the content, people are not going to watch. And videos are extremely important. Right now, 80% of content marketing is in the form of video. I mean, we see it on social media, but every company that's trying to get its message across needs to be able to do so quickly, fairly easily for the audience to grasp and to be able to take with them and to pay attention to because attention spans have just shrunk down to even smaller than this. I've even heard it is less than 0.3 of a second. People want to just scroll past and look for something that catches their eye. So I focus, first of all, on delivery techniques. So let's say you're all relaxed, you're all in your body, you're ready to go. The number one rule is talk to one person. Just pretend the camera is your friend. And if it helps, put a picture of your friend up there or your spouse or your mother, <laughs> whatever does the trick. And make it very authentic, human, personal, conversational. I mean, there's a lot of AI out there. But right now, AI hasn't, and it may not, replicate the human connection. And that's what you want to get across. Because when people first find your video, that's what are going to grab them. Now, of course, we could talk about hooks and all that, but I'm talking about the video itself. And then if you're going to be speaking to camera, there are a few other things that you want to know. Besides just talking to one person and being totally relaxed in your body, understand the concept of a frame. What is the frame? Well, that is what you're appearing in, in a picture frame. So for example, right here, and I don't know if who's watching this and who's listening, but my frame might only be a few feet across, maybe a few feet high. 
So I have to know that I can't move too much. And to me, a little movement could be huge off screen. Next thing you know, I'm disappearing from view. I also have to realize that whatever is small appears huge. So I do want to try to stay as still as possible, which is not easy for me because I am the energizer bunny and I move a mile a minute. But that doesn't mean you want to be stiff as a board. But you don't want to go wild with hand movements because it could be distracting. And so for those who might be watching this, if I'm talking with my hands and I'm moving around, you're not going to watch me. You're going to say, well, what the heck is she doing with her hands? And there's there's something I'm missing. Instead, keep it rather contained. And be aware that when it's projected on a bigger screen, every little thing is going to look larger. So there are a few tips just to get started. Now, as far as the YouTube side, I'll talk just a little bit about that. YouTube is a search engine. The biggest thing I can tell you is it's owned by Google and it is the number two search engine right after Google. And so you want to make your videos searchable, especially now that Google is allowing shorts to be found in its search criteria. So you're going to want to know something about SEO. You're going to want to do keywording. You're going to want to have the right kind of title. And my chapter goes into a little bit more about all that. That's also valuable. Can't wait to read your chapter and take notes. Well, thank you. Where can listeners go to connect with you, Laura? Well, please, first of all, come to my website. It's lauradoman.com. You'll see everything I'm about. That would be sources of my video. I've got extensive blogs about it. I do my voiceover stuff. My demos are there as well as my on-camera reel. But I would love for you to come to my YouTube channel. It's easy to find. Just youtube.com slash at, the little at sign, my name, Laura Doman. And there's a whole bunch of stuff for you there. I have a whole series of videos that help non-actors, business people, entrepreneurs become more comfortable and effective on camera themselves. Each one's only a few minutes long, covers a topic. But if that's going to be too much, no problem. I got you in shorts. I have something that's 60 seconds or less on each little minutia. Just something to walk away with. And if you're looking for some entertainment, I've got some fun shorts up there as well. You know, little things mom say when you don't think they're really listening to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Last but not least, I'd like to welcome Lisa Apolinsky to the podcast. Lisa is the author of Chapter 6, Moving Customer Experience to the Digital Front. She is a digital growth expert, author and speaker and founder of Three Dog Write. She has been dubbed by Forbes as America's digital content futurist. It's great to have you here, Lisa. Could you talk a little bit about your journey to becoming a digital growth expert, please? Absolutely, Victoria. And thank you so much for having me on. This is going to be a great conversation. So when I started out... Oh, 30 years ago, this was the kind of dawn of digital marketing. A lot of stuff was still being done manually. I can actually remember doing printed letters and mail merges and having to stuff envelopes and take them to the post office to be mailed, if you can believe that. Way back that. in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've noticed as I've progressed through my digital growth journey, that the key indicator of how well your message is received 
It's how well it resonates with your audience, obviously, and what kind of humanity you've actually inserted into your content so that people can feel that they are in a community, that they are connecting, and that they're actually having a conversation, not a one-way sale, buy my products and services, buy my products and services. And as I progressed through my digital journey, I really incorporated that into everything that I touched. Like I said, I started out very, very early when digital was just beginning. And a lot of those tenants from traditional marketing can and should be incorporated into your brand journey and your customer journey. The question is, how are you leveraging the content to make that transition for your audience? I've had my agency for 11 years now. Um, I've actually transitioned into becoming a content coach. So I think I've made a category. So I'm a category of one. I've never heard of a content coach before. I haven't. And I felt, yeah, and I felt that it was really necessary to help business owners, small and medium-sized business owners to leverage their content as business development and as that relationship building in order to move them through any kind of a buyer's journey. And really it's an exploratory journey. It's a way that your audience, your prospects, and even your current clients can get to know you and your brand a lot better. And with my coaching programs, I actually teach my tricks, things that I learned over my 30 years working with and for Fortune 500 companies who make a lot of money and being able to leverage that with these business owners so that they attract more right fit clients and that they never have to spend money on marketing and business development again if they don't want to. If they want to level up, they absolutely can and they have the strategy and foundation to be able to do that. Wow, that's so valuable. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's amazing to have that kind of power back in the hands of the business owner where they actually learn how to make business development and showing up every day in the digital space in some form of leadership, thought leadership can be so powerful. And again, creating community, which brings connection and ultimately conversation. Absolutely. These are all great ways that companies can share the humanity behind the brands. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and having that human element, I think is so important. And I, I talked about this, you know, when we went through the pandemic, that feels like a, an age ago and yet so, so close by before when there was just so much business and so much market share, and there was room for everybody. It was very transactional, Right. I hand you a product and service, you hand me money. It's a very commoditized relationship. That was springtime in the Serengeti when the waters were flowing and the grass was abundant and there was room for everyone. And then summer came and everything dried up and the grass all died and there's no room. And that transactional, very shallow, superficial relationship no longer works. You got away with it pre-pandemic. You're not going to get away with it now. There has to be an investment by the companies in how they show up for their prospects and their clients. And the fastest way that you can show that you are investing in the relationship 
is to bring that human element into your content, your conversation, and ultimately the conversions, the relationships that you have that lead to a sale because people purchase from people they know and they trust. That's never changed. So how are you leveraging content to build that trust? And a lot of people want to stick to that commoditized, that transactional relationship because it's it feels easier. But in fact, you're doing more work when you do that. When you lean into non-commoditized, what value do you provide? How are you showing up as a partner? How are you showing up as a thought leader? How are you showing up as solving their problem? Because that's really what they need now. They want someone who can help them go from where they are now to where they want to go. And having that human element in that conversation is so critical to developing those relationships and that trust element. And there's, you know, there's, I mean, think about if, if the audience thinks about who their competitors are and the number of competitors that are in their space. And if you're sticking to that sea of sameness where you're showing up just like everybody else, the only differentiator that you have then is price. And that's a race to the bottom. There's no innovation in that. There's no value in that. There's no relationship in that. There's no trust in that. It's simply, how can I get this product or service for the lowest dollar value? And people get that. And if that's how you show up, that's the interaction you're going to have. If you lean into the human element and you're actually trying to build relationships with your prospects and your clients, then you're moving into a non-commoditized conversation. I see the value that you bring in helping me hit a future point of success. And when I see that, price goes out the window. They're not worried about price. They're worried about results. And that's yes. really what they're, they're, they're wanting from us. They're not wanting a product. They're wanting a result as after they've used a product or a result after they've used your service. They're not paying for the service itself. They're paying for the result from working with you. And when you push into that result, and a lot of times, you know, when we talk about storytelling, a lot of companies will stop at, well, this is what we did. We did this and we did this and we did this and we did this, or here's our features and benefits. And here's what we do here. That's great. And, and that can be important for people who want to know how the donuts are made, but most people just want the donut. <laughs> they want the donut at the end of the day. And how is that resulting in their happiness? How is that resulting in removing a pain point? How is that resulting in helping them be more successful? So moving into that results relationship equation, it, it demands humanity within that conversation. And I always say it makes me banana sandwiches when people say B2B and B2C. I want people to stop using that language. It is P2P, people to people, person to person. Even if you are a business selling into another business, you are talking to a person. You are developing a relationship with a person. When we say B2C and B2B, we're moving into that transactional conversation. We're separating ourselves from 
the conversation and the relationship. And I think the companies that really want to succeed and to have those right fit clients just saying, you sound awesome. How do I work with you? And who doesn't want a conversation like that where someone's just like, Victoria, you're fantastic. How do I work with you? What do I do? I don't, you know, we can talk about the details later, but you seem awesome. You seem amazing. How do, and I know you're going to help me get to that future state of success. What do I need to do? How do I work with you? Those conversations immediately result in sales and revenue and at a higher value because they're not fighting you on price. Again, it's not that race to the bottom. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I don't like that race to the bottom. It gives me a headache. Absolutely not. Now, you're one of the co-authors of the most amazing marketing book ever by Mark Schaefer and Friends. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) And you wrote the chapter, Moving Customer Experience to the Digital Front. So how have you found it being part of the book project? Oh, my God. So I knew it was going to be an experience and something where I would gain a lot of knowledge and a lot of learning. I am already a three-time author. You can see behind me my books, and I actually have them here, my books. And I will have my, I guess, fifth one coming out at the end of this year on the greatest personal brand story ever told. Again, that personal branding, that, that human element, and just being part of this book community and seeing the amazing information and knowledge sharing that happened within this book was just fantastic. I learned a ton, not only from my fellow authors who are experts in their own right and and can be writing their own books. I also learned more about the, the book process working with Mark. You know, Mark is a, I think this is his 10th or 11th book. So, you know, he's old hat at this and, and I learned a ton of things just being able to work with him. And again, just seeing that community, that community that caused connection and then caused conversation that, and this book project came out of those three C's, community, connection, conversation. So yeah, it was fantastic. And what I thought was really interesting is I think he gave each of us a topic where it wasn't our full expertise. It was our, you know, and we had to actually lean into it and learn a little bit more, right. which was great. And I love that. I mean, I can talk about content marketing and content creation all day. I mean, I've been dubbed America's digital content futurist. I can talk about this like it's nothing. When I when I was assigned customer experience, I was like, oh, yeah, customer experience. Let me research that. Let me think about that. Let me have conversations around that. And I actually had conversations with some of the Fortune 500 companies that I work with to see what they struggle with and where their their roadblocks are with, with being more digital with the customer experience. So it was absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. So what can readers expect from your chapter? So In my chapter, I really want people to start thinking about customer experience in not only a digital way, but in a human way. So how are you leveraging customer experience to, again, build that trust in those relationships, to insert your brand story into the conversation, 
and to have that element of humanity so that it's not just a company behind some kind of a glass wall where no one can touch you. You know, part of what I was doing when I was writing the the chapter was what things have happened to me over the last three years when it comes to customer service, because a lot of stuff is digital now, where I feel like people have dropped the ball or missed the mark. And just really thinking about how I would want them to improve is what helped really guide me with my 10 tips. Fantastic. Thank you. So where can listeners go to connect with you, Lisa? So they can go to my website, which is threedogwrite.com. So that's the number three, dog, D-O-G, write, like write with a pen, W-R-I-T-E.com. They can send me an email at lisa at threedogwrite.com. And they can also follow and connect with me on LinkedIn. I post just about every single day on LinkedIn. I share some kind of either thought or poll or, hey, I have a question, just making sure people are able to have a conversation around content. So those are the fastest ways to get a hold of me. Thank you so much. I'll put links to those in the show notes. Thank you. This was great. Thank you for listening along today. I hope you found all the tips and advice shared by our guests valuable. The most amazing marketing book ever is out now. If you'd like to hear more from the amazing co-authors on a future episode, let me know at podcast at victoriabenyon.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Guest Podcast today. I'll talk to you again in the next episode.